Welcome to the Sage Parnassus Podcast, peaceful guidance for your Charlotte Mason homeschool and life with me, Nancy Kelly. Today I have something very special for you. Last weekend was the 14th annual Living Education Retreat. Thank you for praying for the LER. It was like a family reunion with unprecedented depth, I thought. It took place out in the middle of nowhere, Gary, South Dakota. Well, as you will hear, it's actually in the middle of a very specific place. What I am sharing today is my opening conversazioni, Avoiding Grooves edition. He'll want to listen to the very end as there is a big announcement about an upcoming event that just might be for you. I begin with a welcome and an explanation of the quote we put on the t-shirts this year, which is, we've had a splendid bag. Next is a geography slash geology lesson, followed by an exhortation to avoid grooves in our teaching. We then do a picture study of Harvey Dunn's The Prairie is My Garden. Can you hear the whole idea of a sense of place going on? Finally, I discuss why Charlotte Mason chose the Lake District for her teacher training college. I close by asking everyone to imagine with me about a dream Charlotte Mason trip. You might want to listen as you follow the slides that I have made available on my website, as well as the picture we studied. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think, and as always, please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. It's so good to see all of you. I was just saying, it's like home to see everybody, all of you all together, all of us kindred spirits. I'm so excited for this talk I'm about to give to you this evening. Um, And I'm just thrilled that you're here for the 14th Living Education Retreat. That's just a... That's just amazing. Who do, we, who do we applaud? I don't know, but 14 years. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So we're here at this retreat to refocus, um, relearn, rededicate how we go about this daunting task, the sacred task of educating our children. But even as we come to perhaps get away from our normal routines and our chaotic lives, the busyness of our days, this retreat will hopefully be more like a going to, a time of renewal and forward moving, of reevaluating how we go about this education, which is a life. And this is the conversazione. And we like to begin the retreat with this address. And it's inspired by the conversaziones that I read about in the parents' reviews. So conversazione is, of course, an Italian word, and it usually describes a scholarly or formal gathering where something related to literature or the arts is discussed. And we will be discussing some things related to literature and the arts tonight. These conversaziones were a great way for Mason's Parents National Education Union, PNEU, um, to invite the public in and inform them more about her organization. Um, I don't know if any of you 
saw the t-shirt this year. Some of you may have. Um, but this is the t-shirt, and on the back, we have this. I think this is a fabulous quote, so I put it on a t-shirt. So it's, It says, we've had a splendid bag. Um, you're going to see a lot of people wearing these tomorrow. Some of them will be for sale, and I wanted to give you an explanation um, about this quote. And the irony about the quote, and there is irony, is that there's a vehicle, a motorized vehicle on it. Um, Miss Mason took her daily drives with a horse and carriage, uh, and she was very much down on the noisy motors, as she called them. All right, so her driver was T.H. Barrow, and we have a lovely tribute written by him describing their outings together over hill and dale and full of the flora and fauna of the Lake District. Um, in that tribute, he says, to her friends who asked why she did not have a motor, her answer was, I can talk to a horse, but not to a motor. <laughs> and he ends his tribute with this, and here's where this quote comes in. He says, Miss Mason was always punctual, never kept man and horse waiting, and never left her carriage without the kindly good afternoon, and thank you, Barrow. And if our drive had been prolific in birds, etc., she would say, we've had a splendid bag. And I am proud of having had the honor and pleasure, for it was a pleasure of driving such a kind and noble lady whose like none can excel. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. So I hope after the LER, you can say on your way home, We've had a splendid bag. So, and now you know the story. And so when people are like, what is that? You can explain it to them. So let's talk a little bit about where we are. Um, I want to give you a little bit of a sense of place here. So we are in Gary, South Dakota, which is in the Buffalo Ridge, which is situated on the Coteau des Prairies. All right. You can see the star faintly up there where Gary is located at. So the town of Gary was established in 1874 and was platted by the railroad in 1877. It was named for H.B. Gary, a postal official. And before it was named Gary, it was called State Line South Dakota. You can see Minnesota just across the road, one direction here. So it is situated on Buffalo Ridge, and Buffalo Ridge is a large expanse of rolling hills that stands 1,995 feet above sea level. The Buffalo Ridge itself is 60 miles long and runs through the southwest corner of Minnesota. Because of its high altitude and high average wind speed, Buffalo Ridge has been transformed into a place for creating alternative energy namely wind turbines. It is a drainage divide separating the watersheds of the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. Beneath its bedrock of crustaceous shale, sandstone, and clay, you will find the famous Sioux Quartzites. So before the settlers arrived and developed the towns on and surrounding Buffalo Ridge, the Dakota Native Americans inhabited the area, and it was the Dakota who created intricate pipes 
out of the quartz site in the Buffalo Ridge area, which today are displayed at Pipestone National Monument. The soils and the climates combine to make perfect growing conditions for tall grass prairie, which once covered almost the entire region. Now, the Coteau de Prairie is a plateau rising from the surrounding prairie flatlands of which the southeast portion is known as Buffalo Ridge, all of which were formed by glacial activity. The Coteau is it's a flat iron-shaped plateau. It was named by the early French explorers and trappers from Quebec. Coteau means hill in French, and the general term Coteau has since been used in English to describe any upland dividing ridge. The settlers just called this area Prairie Hills. I want to show you this really cool graphic. This is from the north looking south, and it will illustrate what I've just described to you. So this is a North Dakota looking down into South Dakota, and you can see why the Coteau de Prairie was said to have a flat iron shape. Isn't that cool? I think that's cool. All right, so that was your geology geography lesson for today. Are we ready to narrate? No, you don't have to laugh at me. You know I'm going to make you do it, so. <laughs> No, we'll do it later. So, <laughs> All right. Um, geology uh, is fascinating to me now. Geology came to life for me this past year. Um, I stepped out of my comfort box and taught middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, geology, a geology course in our Truth, Beauty, Goodness community. Um, and I'm going to make a plug for this series this series called Roadside Geology. There's one for each state, and this is a fantastic teacher resource. Um, I read portions of it to my students, but it has everything. This is the one for South Dakota. It's called Roadside Geology. Great resource if you're teaching um, geology. Uh, I had, like I said, never led a geology course before, uh, but I was glad that I got out of my groove and explored this topic with my students. So I'd like you to stop and think for a moment. In what way this past year have you stepped out of your comfort zone, your settled routine, your groove? Because this idea of avoiding grooves is an important one, as Charlotte Mason tells us in her wonderful Parents Review article, The Home School. It was written directly to home educators. So by a groove, um, I mean a settled routine. Unfortunately, often our claims of experience set us firmly in that groove. Mason speaks of experience as not necessarily a qualification for being a great teacher. In fact, uh, she says that one year of training in her methods is worth 10 years experience elsewhere for the turning out of a great teacher. She says that for most of us, experience means the habit of doing this or that as we are accustomed to do it. Once we are set in a groove, we can stop questioning what is better or worse. We do it in our own way, and years of experience makes us the same, but only more so. But that lack of experience, but willingness to learn, is such an asset, especially to some of the newcomers to Charlotte Mason. Um, 
And I think some of the best practitioners that I've seen have started out this way and have continued successfully doing things this way. Um, if you don't come with the authority and baggage of your experiences and prior training, um, and you're ready to learn and grow in this philosophy, you are the moms, you are the dads, you are the teachers that are going to flourish in implementing this relational method of education. However, uh, there are instances where experience is a good thing. Charlotte Mason tells us, experience added to training has its advantages, supposing we are able to keep the fresh impulse of our training through the years. Let me read that again. Experience added to training has its advantages, supposing we are able to keep the fresh impulse of our training through the years. And personally, it's this fresh impulse of training that's helped me to keep at it for 25 years. With this method of education, it's so full of life that keeping that fresh outlook is such a joy. Um, this training is just as interesting and living to me as the living books that my children are reading. Um, it's why we look so forward to putting on the Living Education Retreat and sharing this with you, all the things that we've learned and implemented. And here is a quote I want to share with you, uh, which tells us which types of experience can be helpful. She says, experience which implies the progressive effort and receptive attitude of a fine intelligence, always putting itself to school. The experience of continual change and regular advance. Here is no groove, no set way. Such a character is all the time under training and is always ready for any new post. There is no question of previous training. They are always under training. So um, I have a question for you. Do you think there are parallels here to how we approach our spiritual walk? And in what way? So take a moment and think about that. Yeah, we should be growing and learning and avoiding those grooves. We should always be under training. No one ever arrives in the Charlotte Mason world. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you can hear through this description and what you've said, this, this humility, right, that underlies all of this. So what will you do this upcoming year to avoid grooves? How will you keep this fresh impulse of learning? Well, Charlotte Mason has some suggestions for you, um, and I'm going to share those with you. And I venture to guess that many of you do many of these things. So the first thing I would say is read, or Charlotte would say, read, narrate, discuss the six volumes. Okay, very important. That will help you avoid grooves. Reading the parents' reviews. Charlotte Mason said in a letter to her college graduates, I think if you will read and ponder your parents' review month by month, you will find that it stimulates your educational thought in many directions and keeps you from drifting into mere routine. Okay. Get to know your home, your neighborhood, your town, your region by digging into the physical geography, geology, 
meteorology, botany, and natural history. How about teach a subject that you've never taught before? Maybe it's time for you to do some geology. Maybe it's time for you to teach Latin. I don't know. And always be in training, like Mason says. Keep that fresh impulse of learning. And you're here today, um, and that is avoiding a groove because you're going to be sitting with different people and listening to different teachers. And Charlotte Mason said, read, read, she says. Not only in the book, which one cannot read without many life-giving thoughts, but almost any good book, poetry, biography, history, essays, good novels, all will supply our need thoughtfully and steadily. And as I mentioned here, learning the geology of your area could be one way. Understanding, learning about, and forming relationships with your particular home on earth is so important. Wendell Berry said, you can't know who you are until you know where you are. So I would like to introduce to you an artist who very much has this sense of place. And the place that he came from was right around here. We studied this artist for picture study this year, and we enjoyed it so very much. The artist is Harvey Dunn. So let me tell you a little bit about Harvey. Harvey Dunn was born on March 7, 1884, in a claim shanty near Manchester, South Dakota, about 90 miles southwest of here. He attended a one-room schoolhouse and in 1901 entered South Dakota Agricultural College as a preparatory student. Ada Caldwell, his art instructor, encouraged him to further his education at the Chicago Art Institute. While attending the institute from 1902 to 1904, he met Howard Pyle, America's foremost illustrator. After studying with Pyle, Dunn opened his own studio in Wilmington, Delaware in 1906, and soon he was illustrating for magazines and books. And now we have the Laura Ingalls Wilder connection. Here it comes. All right. Harvey's uncle married Grace Ingalls. Isn't that sweet? Laura's younger sister. He spent, we have to have a Laura Ingalls Wilder connection every time. He spent 16, um, Harvey spent 16 summers at their farm near DeSmet. So as Dunn grew in stature as an illustrator, he became interested in helping other artists as Ada Caldwell and Howard Pyle had helped him. In 1915, Dunn and fellow artist Charles Shepard Chapman established the Leonia School of Illustration. He said... All that I am really doing is carrying on the Howard Pyle idea. Howard Pyle did not teach art. Art cannot be taught any more than life can be taught. His main purpose was to quicken our souls that we might render service to the majesty of simple things. So although Harvey Dunn moved far away from the prairie of South Dakota and became a successful illustrator and teacher, he never forgot the land of his birth. He made many summer trips to South Dakota and continued to produce paintings, capturing the Dakota pioneer heritage for magazine illustrations and covers, but most notably for his own gratification. On October 29, 1952, 
Harvey Dunn died at his home in Tenafly, New Jersey. You can see his paintings at the South Dakota Art Museum at SDSU in Brookings, about 50 miles south of here, including the painting that we're going to look at today. This painting is known as his masterpiece. It is 41 inches by 71 inches, and it's oil on canvas. So we will pass those pictures out now. As soon as everybody has one, we'll take some quiet moments to study the picture. The title of this painting is, who knows what it is? Does anybody know what it is, the title? I know you know. Okay, well, great. I'm glad this is a new one for you. This is The Prairie is My Garden. That's sweet. So I'm really curious, before I talk about it a little bit more, did anybody have any insight here or a theory about this picture? I want to hear your theories about this picture. I heard the death theory up here from Amy Tuttle. <laughs> and I was laughing because I went through that same thing when we studied this picture. I thought, I think a funeral's going on. I did that whole thing. So anyway, yeah. So tell me what you guys were thinking. What, what's going on here? Give me your opinion of your, or your idea. Let me tell you a few things. Um, it, Dunn was a prolific artist, but his prairie pieces attract the most interest. Um, it was said of him that he clarifies, clarifies our relationship with the land. Women are central, grounded figures, and he understood the importance of women as homesteaders. And the history and heritage of the prairie as my garden is one reason so many people drive to Brookings to see the original. And yesterday, Rochelle and I got to do just that. So that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things I read is that, and you could see it too, is that the oil paint is almost an inch thick. And if you stand really close, the colors just undulate like waves on a lake, just thick. And that's a lot of weight hanging on that canvas. So I want to share with you this quote that, that Harvey, from Harvey. He said, Jesus Christ was the only man who knew his job. He said, of myself, I am nothing. Nothing fine is produced without God's help. And as soon as you have humiliated yourself and conquered your will, you see the fit purveyor of the true and the beautiful. Isn't that nice? So you can see um, how your landscape, wherever you live, can so strongly influence your life and work. It certainly did for Harvey Dunn. Uh, many of you have written about this topic. Art, you wrote over 10 years ago, Reflections on a Sense of Place, about your awakening to this idea. And uh, last year, or a couple years ago, Heather Sumnick wrote um, A Sense of Place, Baraboo, Wisconsin, after we heard Jack's biotic citizenship talk, right? And that's a beautiful article, too. I'm sure many others here have written about this. Um, it's really important. Um, we could look at Charlotte Mason and why she chose the Lake District, the gorgeous Lake District, for her House of Education. 
uh, her teacher training college. So her reasons for choosing it support the importance of place. Um, and she knew that ultimately, for those who would be looking, um, a, a sense of place pointed directly to the knowledge of the creator. And she chose the Lake District for a few reasons. And I think it's kind of interesting and telling, and I wanted to share those reasons that I found that she chose the Lake, Drist Lake District uh, for her college, her teacher training college. Here are some of her reasons. <clears throat> First, we wish to combine a delightful summer holiday with valuable work. Okay, so this was at the very beginning before it was this year-round college. It was just a summer training course. And then she said, uh, next, we desire by means of field work under able leaders to give such knowledge of the physical geography, geology, meteorology, botany, and natural history of the lake district or of the lake country as parents should be prepared to give their children concerning the neighborhood of their own homes. She chose Ambleside knowing that close at hand were sources of refreshment and delight necessary to all great enterprises. Um, and then she said, for many years, men and women of great gifts had been attracted to the district. Memories of so many well-known writers were still living when Miss Mason first knew Ambleside. She believed that the district would always attract people of active mind and talent and would never become a spiritual backwater. She speaks of Ambleside as an unwalled university, all dedicated to plain living and high thinking. It is precisely the site for our training college, abounding as it does in sources of spiritual inspiration. So here was the place for a house of education surrounded by a countryside worthy of love and intimate knowledge. And she knew, obviously, that all of this would give her students a sense of place and the ability to transfer that to wherever they may find themselves working. In fact, Dr. Jack Beckman said that her location choice of Ambleside in the Lake District was itself, quote, a metaphor illustrating the ideas of the life and intimate relationships of education. All right. So, how many of you have been to the Lake District before? Oh, quite a few of you. Great. It's amazing, isn't it? Right? It's so, so beautiful. If I could, I would gather all of you, all of my friends up, and we would, we would go there together. And we would take a vacation together. Um, a group of friends that comes together for... Uh, this this common bond in Charlotte Mason. And, and if you think about it, I mean, imagine with me, how amazing would a trip like that be, if, assuming we're a small group? What if, what if we went over there and I could show you the places that changed my life and talk to you about how those places changed my life? And what if we had Art take us into the Armit and reveal his secrets of research in the Armit? <laughs> It would be wonderful. Or maybe we could get him to 
deliver a sermon that Charlotte Mason loved in St. Mary's while we worship in St. Mary's where Charlotte Mason uh, worshiped. I think that sounds amazing. I could take you to the Malay house and I could show you the, the sketches on the wall and I could share with you the story of why they're still there to this day and how wonderful they are and what they meant to her students. Or maybe we could take a lesson and go down, just hike on down to the Roman fort. Doesn't that sound like fun to you? It sounds like fun to me. It sounds wonderful. Um, <laughs> well, if, if Rochelle was with us too, what if we left Anvil's side? What if we went down to Jane Austen land, down in Chawton, down by London? And what if Rochelle told us of, Charlotte, uh, of Jane Austen's influence on Charlotte Mason and we could walk the same walks that Jane Austen walked and have tea where Jane Austen had tea and just drink it all in? I think it would be amazing. But in my dream vacation, we wouldn't stop there. I think then we would need to get on a plane in London and go to Florence and have the, we could call it the great recognition, <laughs> right? Right, and we could take Nicole. Where's Nicole Hanfield? Nicole's book in our hands, which is one of the reasons she put it together and we could have that for our guide. And, and then we could have art be our docent while we go into the Spanish chapel at Santa Maria Novella, and he could explain it to us. He's been there, I don't know, four times, five times. And I wouldn't stop there. I would keep going. We could go to the Uffizi. We could uh, go to the Duomo and look at all these amazing works of art that Charlotte Mason references in so many of her works. It would just be us, and we would be friends, these kindred spirits. We would be drinking in the sights and sounds. We would be sharing our ideas with each other, I think it would be amazing. We, would be, we could experience the geography, the geology, the meteorology, the botany, the natural history, just like Mason's students. And so, Craig, this dream is about to become a reality. Let me explain. We have a grand tour coming up, everybody. Next June, you need to think about if you should participate in the first living education holiday. This is for real. It is. So Art, Rochelle, and I, three friends with a passion for Charlotte Mason, want to take a small group, 25 to 30 of you, and we want to do all those things plus more over, over the sea. So let me tell you just a little bit about it. Um, we're planning on it being June 2nd through 12th of 2020. And registration and full information will be ready by uh, September. You're going to take care of your travel, your food, and your lodging uh, with advice from us so that we are mostly together as much as we can be. And we will provide um, the talks, the activities, the lessons, the tours, the reading lists, places that were vital to those who really want to go deep with Charlotte Mason and understand her sense of place and the ideas that she had. So there will be a registration fee, of course, and it will be 10 to 11 days from start to finish. So there will be a sign-up sheet in the back if you want further information, because we will start sending that information out uh, before September 
for signing up and more details. There's nothing online about it. You guys are the first to know. Um, and we'll probably mention it online, but it's not getting a website and it's not going to get a, a bunch of advertising. We don't have time for that. We'd rather be preparing where we're going to go when we go over there. So um, if visiting these places and experiencing these sites with an intimate group of kindred spirits who really want to step in and understand how these places impacted and were important to Mason and ourselves, then maybe this is a trip for you. Think about it. Pray about it. Sign up in the back on the clipboard. That'll get you further information. Who knows? Uh, maybe this could be just the thing to get you out of your groove. I don't know. <laughs> Charlotte certainly was an avid traveler. I think that helped her get out of her groove. She found inspiration wherever she went. So today, tonight, uh, we have learned a little bit about this unique place that we are meeting atop of Buffalo Ridge on the Coteau de Prairie. And I hope that you will give some thought to avoiding grooves in your life. As Charlotte Mason exhorts, uh, exhorts us to keep things living in our lives. Your life will be richer for it. Your children's lives will be richer for it too. And may our hearts, minds, and relationships be blessed this weekend. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can sign up for further information about the Living Education Holiday at my blog, Sage Parnassus, under the Living Education Holiday tab. I will end with a quote about unity that resonates with our LER gathering every year. It comes from someone who attended one of Charlotte Mason's conferences 100 years ago. Unity, the spirit of unity, it is precious, it permeates, it leaves traces on the countenance, and it beautifies even the outer garments, as spirit is at unity with spirit. And was there ever a more democratic gathering of people who, as someone said the other day, would never meet each other socially, than that which met. It was not only the great personal joy of meeting, but the feeling of strength and courage which unity of thought brings. <laughs>